However, there are changes. A lot of people sit on the sideline, but this is the people that figure out how to adapt to the changes are the ones that are going to uh, do well in all this. I love that. Let's take a journey into the mind. Your host, Mina, the Egyptian prescription, Elias. Let's take a journey into the mind. Kevin, what motivates you? All right, we're getting right into it. Well, uh, Mina, I would say what motivates me is just the fire of knowing that I'm making an impact on this world. I love it. And so is that kind of what you would say your purpose is or your why is to, you know, make as big of an impact as possible on the world? Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, we're all making an impact in a one way, shape or form, you know, maybe not the same size impact that like, let's say, uh, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk is probably making in the world, but we can all have an effect on others. And, you know, I do know that, you know, in this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, mindset and story, which, you know, kind of gets into a different conversation I usually have on podcasts, uh, which I'm excited about. Um, and I think it's just interesting that, you know, we're kind of creating these like little niche worlds right now. And so hopefully I can help guide people with uh, some of the uh, mistakes and successes I've had along the way in this little niche world that you and I are in. Okay. I love it. Okay. So my next question is what scares you? Hmm. I think one of the things that scares me is that it's all going to end at some point. And so it's like that we we just kind of have to keep the hamster wheel going. It's like that saying, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so uh, I guess what scares me is not moving forward in the right direction. Okay, cool. That's a, that's actually a very good one. Okay, and my, and my last question is, if you could go back in time and change one thing, what would you change? And I, I know before, you know, anyone is like, oh, like no regrets, like everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I mean, if you gave me the ability to time travel, I will change a lot of things because it's going to be nicer. So uh, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I had a lot of ideas on things I wanted to do in my 20s and into my 30s, and I never did them for no reason other than maybe I was excited like one night, like coming up with this idea of like something I should try out, like kind of like entrepreneurial type thing. And I just woke up the next morning and said, it's not going to work. Like, did anything change? No. So I would say my, uh, my, my search for certainty, um, when I was younger, as opposed to being on being comfortable with uncertainty. And so I would say that would be the thing I would go back and change um, is my willingness to try uh, things like that. Oh, man, that's such a good answer. I love it. Okay, cool. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Uh, I got Kevin Sanderson here with me. So in, in like in short, why should people listen to you? Great question. And I know, you know, when it comes to mindset, you know, we're always trying to wonder like, you know, who is this person? What makes them tick? And hopefully listening to my somewhat meandering uh, experience in the <laughs> entrepreneurial world, um, it can give people at least a little bit of a sense of, okay, other people maybe have a similar um, 
story where, you know, they didn't get into entrepreneurship until they were a little bit later in life. Like for me, it was like really in my kind of mid to late thirties, um, you know, with a family, you know, leaving a full-time job and which I now, as of just yesterday have uh, been outside of the full-time job world for two years. Um, and for those who maybe don't have a similar path to mind, you know, maybe they can learn from some of the mistakes I've made along the way. Cool. And so you, uh, I assume you, you know, you started in corporate, you worked your way up, mm -hmm. uh, very successful there. And then, uh, you know, on the side built a, a business that grew to become very successful where you could replace your income. And, you know, the one thing that I love is that you did not fear the instability. And so I kind of want to dive into that. Like you had, you had a family, you had, uh, kids, I don't know if it's one kid or, or more than one kid, but like, how did you get the courage to kind of leave something like you're very stable? It's so much easier when you're single. Like for me, it's, it's super easy. Like if I am like broke on the street, not like nothing's going to happen to anyone, but for you, you can't afford that. And obviously like the worst case scenarios, yeah, you're going to go back to a nine to five, but how were you okay? Kind of like having a kid at home, uh, you know, having a family and I'm sure like, you know, people depend on you and um, being okay with, letting go of that stability, which a lot of people have trouble letting go of? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, when we're, 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 we're making big decisions, you know, sometimes it's, it, it's the sum of a bunch of other smaller decisions that lead to that bigger decision. And for me, um, it, it wasn't an overnight decision, but it was a collective of a whole bunch of different decisions and, you know, kind of, uh, it took time to get my mindset to a point where I would be able to do that. And so like, I never look at someone who, uh, maybe they have aspirations of doing something like that. And then they just haven't quite built up the courage to even try going down that journey. I don't fault people for that because I know it can be very easy to get caught up in the search for certainty. Like I, I just had someone I was talking to a friend of mine last night, uh, which was uh, coincidentally both of our birthdays. And he was kind of congratulating me on, you know, some of the things I've done along the way and uh, how he knew, like, for example, when I first started selling uh, my own branded products on Amazon, um, you know, like about a month after my stuff was for sale, like we were doing like a vac family vacation together. And, you know, here it was, you know, I was excited, like, oh, I got two sales today. This is exciting. Um, and, you know, seeing where I am now. And so, you know, he made some comment that he wishes he, you know, like it was one of those like, um, maybe I wish I, I, had, I wish I could do what you did. Yeah. I wish I could do what you did. Maybe if I had tried something and then all of a sudden you could hear like in his voice and in the words he was using that he starts like talking himself out of it and creating this kind of like safety of like, well, it wouldn't work for me or, you know, kind of like, uh, self-deprecating ex excuses, self-deprecating, uh, lack of belief in himself. And I, I don't fault folks for that because, it's not as easy as it sounds to say, okay, I pulled the trigger. And, you know, we celebrate in this culture, the people that kind of go all in, 
you know, like Elon Musk, we'll use him as another example. Like I remember watching some documentary about like, you know, he took all of his PayPal money and just went all in on SpaceX and um, Tesla. And, you know, he could have lost everything and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, we, we, we love that. But it, the reality is like Elon Musk didn't become Elon Musk overnight to be able to do that and to have those kind of decisions. Um, and, you know, all of us, it, it takes quite a few little decisions and we can go deeper on that. But I think in my probably long meandering answer that it really takes, it takes a while to get to that decision of being willing and able to leave your job. Yeah. And, and so I think it's a little bit different. You are in the category of people that I would say are very comfortable, uh, like not very comfortable, but you, in your nine to five, you were incredibly comfortable. You had a lot of flexibility. Uh, you told me, uh, you know, if you needed to take time off. And so when you kind of look at that and, and you say, okay, I have a nine to five job. Were you getting like what, six figures a year, uh, you know, benefits, all that stuff for your whole family, something like close to uh, six figures or close, right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to throw under yeah, the bus of my uh, former employer and what my uh, income was. <laughs> but yeah, to, to your point, I was in my last job that I had, I was living very comfortably. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll and so that. it's for for someone like you, it's very different because for someone, for example, like me or certain other entrepreneurs that I've talked to, it's like, dude, literally, like I was at the bottom. Like, I have nothing to lose. Like I, the job doesn't like, was it, the job doesn't even matter. Like I could replace it with another job that paid the same amount overnight mm -hmm. type thing. Like, it's like, you know, when you're at the bottom, you, you kind the thing you have is like, you have nothing to lose, but you were in something where you did have a lot to lose and you did have a, a family and, and a kid and, you know, there, there was a, a lot to lose. You were going to lose that flexibility. The, I mean, your job was pretty incredible, in this, you know, in terms of like a nine to five, it was something that was that you were okay, comfortable. You made enough money to live a happy life, and at the same time, they were flexible, which not a lot of nine to fives are. So, what are certain things that you did or, or told yourself to to kind of convince yourself, say, okay, even though that this is very comfortable and I'm very flexible, uh, you know, and and I have kind of all of like that I want, I can still like, I should still pursue this. Like what, what pushed you to take such a risk when you didn't have to? Yeah, no, great question. It's probably about an eight year journey to get there. And so, yeah, it was probably three years from the time that I uh, started, you know, I, I launched my own private label brand on Amazon before I left the job, but it, it wasn't even a three year journey. It was probably a 10 year journey. And some of it was before we uh, hit record, we were talking about, you know, my father had passed away and that really kind of had me thinking about like, am I on the right path? Like, you know, climbing the corporate ladder is, is this the right ladder for me? And so it just had me thinking like, is, is this the right direction I wanted to go in my life? And coincidentally, uh, my daughter, who's now 10, um, when my father passed away, she was born three weeks later. So you know, that was a lot of life change in a short period of time um, that just, you know, sometimes when kind of everything blows up uh, and everything's going to get mixed up and shaked up, it kind of has you questioning things. So that was kind of where I started questioning, is this, am I on the right path? Just because everyone's telling me it's the right path. Is this truly the right path?
I love that. And so, you know, I, I do see it a lot. A lot of people are taught, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this a lot. He says, you you know, uh, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, work a nine to five, work your way up the corporate ladder, retire at 65. And so, you know, what about your father's death that really had you thinking about that? Like, is the I mean, what, what, what was there any regrets, anything like that uh, in terms of like, you know, should I not make the same mistakes type thing? Yeah. So my father was always a very hard worker and he, I think he was always kind of like living in fear, not always living in fear, but like, I think in the back of his mind, he probably had this fear of like losing his jobs and many of the jobs he had, you know, he ended up being laid off. Wasn't necessarily anything he did. It was just, you know, companies makes a different decision. Companies working with, you know, times are changing, they're adapting, you know, whatever the case is. And he was a art major um, and he went and got a master's of fine arts. And, you know, it was one of those things where it was like he had, I remember when he was in, I wasn't there at the time, but when he was in grad school, he got a, uh, uh, he won some competition and he got a painting put into the Chicago Institute of Art. And that's a wow. pretty prestigious a, yeah. art museum. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. And he just never really took the risks um, to put himself out there. Like, I don't know that he sold any paintings during his life. Uh, he always had compliments on his paintings. And it was like, uh, one of those things was like, his art was almost never finished because he was always, I think, worried about like that perfect composition. And sometimes the, um, the, uh, and I don't mean this perfect. as a criticism of him at all. But it was one of those things where it's just, you know, you, you I, I question myself with my kids, like, you know, what am I doing that they're picking up on subconsciously? But he was constantly re redoing his paintings. And so there'd be usually like oil paintings. And so there'd be, you know, oftentimes a thick layer of paint where on one side of the painting, you know, the person was standing to the left. And then, you know, a week later, the person's on the right. Um, mm -hmm. and so like, you know, everything was constantly changing. It was like, you know, I think this like fear of like nothing was perfect. And, you know, I think he, and I think some of it was, you know, risk and not wanting to take risks. And I think some of it might've been like his parents, you know, were, uh, came from the depression, uh, you know, the great depression. And so I think they coached him on don't take risks. Risks are bad yeah. because I, I think that was a thing for Mm -hmm. that generation and so they i think they instilled it in their kids and he started but he was kind of questioning some things in that um and so like when he was in undergrad school you know it was you didn't leave school because you would get drafted and it, he graduated from his undergrad and he ended up getting drafted um, but I think his art degree actually saved him from having to go to Vietnam because they could take his art classes, you know, they didn't have like computer design and stuff like that. So he did like training slides and things like that for the army while he was in there. Um, and a few other things, which I think helped him. Um, so it was probably one of those things for him. It was a, a saving grace. And then, uh, Fast forwarding to when I was growing up, he was telling me, you know, you don't have to worry so much about uh, 
being in school all the time because you don't have a war behind us. I mean, the nineties was probably one of the more peaceful times in history when mm -hmm. I was in college. And I ended up doing two internships at Walt Disney world. And, um, some of that was, it was just something different and willing to take a, a different path than a lot of other students were taking, I think because my dad had kind of coached me on that. So in some ways he was kind of teaching me to step out and take a little a calculated risk there mm -hmm. to do something unique and different. Um, and so as time went on, you know, fast forwarding to when he was passing away, he ended up dying of a brain tumor. And during his fight with that, I remember him saying like, he was kind of questioning like why he got the degree in art and things of that nature. And, you know, saying that, you know, he wished he had more of a, a career. And I think what he really met with that was like a career path, kind of had a, a bunch of different jobs, some that kind of incorporated his talents and his, you know, degrees. Um, but, you know, they weren't, it wasn't like he was a professional artist. And so I think he was questioning that. And so it had me kind of questioning things too. Like, okay, he used the term career, but is that really what he means? And I was, you know, questioning myself. It was like, you know, I had this job and they're flexible to, you know, by all standards of, you know, what a job would do. You know, most jobs, you know, they might give you five days or whatever if you have someone pass away. I mean, they gave me lots of time. I mean, I can't fault them for that and probably <laughs> wore my relationship on them a little bit. Um, and then as time went on, you know, I'm, I'm questioning this, you know, I ended up getting, uh, couple months later after the uh my, my father passed away a few months later I ended up getting a promotion at the job and it's like you're working really hard putting in all these hours so that you know maybe one year instead of getting a three percent raise you get a four percent raise and if you get a promotion maybe you get a seven percent raise and it, for that promotion and it's like you're putting in all this time and effort um and then it's you know kind of like in what am i serving here you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, yes, they were understanding, but it was like, it was a lot of emotional baggage probably at the time of, you know, uh, grieving my father's loss. And at the same time too, you know, trying to figure out being a dad and all that happening at the same time, you know, had me questioning, you know, is this the right path? And for a lot of people it is. And, but for me, I started questioning. So I started, um, you know, getting into podcasts uh, and I had found smart passive income with Pat Flynn and started listening to some other stuff that was kind of, you know, mindset. Um, so for anyone listening to this, who is kind of on that path of trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? You know, think about your That's mindset. Yeah, exactly. And I remember at one point listening to smart passive income and thinking, you know, this, this episode, he was interviewing someone that was like a six figure, uh, magic, the gathering blogger or something like that. And I remember thinking like, why don't I have anything interesting that other people would care about, you know? And I think it was just head trash. I was telling myself. And so just, you start realizing you're a lot of the stories we're telling ourselves literally are just stories we're telling ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, not to meander too long on all this, but I ended up, my job was eliminated a couple years later, um, about three years after my father passed away. My, my position was eliminated 
and at the company I was working for, and we had been bought out by another company, and my level didn't exist in that structure. And so basically, it was like, okay, you can apply for another position in the company, and you know, which would most likely have been a demotion. And you know, they're kind of hinting at like, you know, I probably could have kept the same salary. And then the other option was take a severance package. I think they thought I was going to go for the quote unquote safe thing. And mm-hmm. I ended up saying, no, I'm going to go ahead and take the severance package. Because at the time, a friend of mine had an insurance agency and uh, they were figuring out uh, rolling out the Affordable Care Act, uh, which was changes in healthcare. And one thing that I'll just say on that is whenever there are changes, a lot of people sit on the sideline, but this is the people that figure out how to adapt to the changes are the ones that are going to uh, do well in all this. I love things. that. I love that because we're talking, we're in COVID, we're talking about this, and um, I don't want to, I don't want to get too crazy into sure. that because I know that you know the the number one thing that people need to understand is you have to adapt. Like I see so much on social media mm-hmm. complaining, and and you know, I mean, I get it. Like things were one way, now they're a different way. Like this is not something new. It's always like that. So I don't know why people are kind of uh, surprised, but okay, so. Now, now you're at a point where, you know, I think to summarize that whole section, uh, you, you know, first of all, you saw your dad's actions. And so even though your dad kind of said, hey, uh, you know, in words, maybe don't take such a, a, a careful path, his actions, you know, was was a very careful and safe player. And I think a, a lot of us are all, especially me, I, I think for me, I'm always watching my dad growing up. And I was like, you know, for me, he was like my hero. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now like, it's a very different dynamic, because we're in completely opposite ends. Uh, but uh, me growing up, I was like, man, like, you know, this is how I want to be. And so Seeing, I mean, just actions wise, uh, I think a lot of us uh, who do have dads uh, who are, uh, you know, like doing at least well um, are are looking at that. And then the actions are way more powerful than the words. And so I think it really took that moment where you did see him in that state and like in that state, you're like this person like that's when it all comes out. Like you're no longer, you don't have kind of anything left to hold on to. So you're like, man, I, you know, I wish I did some things differently. And that's, I think that's one thing that I, I love asking. That's why I asked, like, if you could change one thing is like, because I really want to know, like, what is that one thing that you want to change? And the people who are like, you know, and like that, they're like, you, you want to listen, you, you know, you want to, if they say, Hey, like, I wish, you know, I went to the parties instead of sitting home and working. You're like, you know what, you know, if someone is is on his deathbed regretting that, maybe I should take that into consideration. So then from there, uh, you know, you really, it was, had you rethinking your career, uh, that whole severance package thing was a perfect nudge for me. I had a very similar situation where uh, you know, right as I was making enough money to cover all my bills and everything, and my business, I think, was bringing in five thousand dollars a month in profit. I got fired, and I was gonna leave them a month later. Like my my goal in my mind was to quit a month later, but mm-hmm. they kind of pushed me. So it was that mm. that perfect catalyst to get you out of there. But now you're out of there, and so 
do you get any creeping thoughts? Like, I'm not stable. Like, I could lose all of this any day. Yes and no. So, and just to be clear, when I took that severance package, I hadn't even really began my entrepreneurial journey. It was 2013. And so, um, it was a little bit later on. But to fast forward to today, you know, kind of like you're saying with, uh, you know, the changes in COVID uh, or because of COVID, like, you know, I was in the, the hotel industry. And I mean, you want to talk about an industry that's really suffering yeah. during all this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I have family that, you know, works in, you know, travel, hotel, theme park industry. And, you know, it's one of those things like there, there's people that like, you know, when you hear these numbers or sometimes big numbers of some of these companies that have recently, like over the last few months, laid off X number of people. And it's usually a pretty big number. The number in reality is probably a lot larger than that because there's a lot of people still on furlough. Like the company doesn't want to get rid of them. And but they just can't pay them. Right. They just can't pay or them. Not. They don't have anything for yeah. them to do right now. So it's like, and then the people don't want to uh, let go of their job. So they, or, you know, sometimes it's a tough situation where like that industry, like it's going to be very hard to find anything else. Uh, not impossible, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they just kind of are holding on. Yeah. And so going back to like the whole thing about like risk and whatnot, like, there's something to be said for like when COVID happens and let's say Amazon starts making a bunch of changes or the market changes, let's say you're selling travel stuff and now all of a sudden, you know, your travel neck pillows just aren't selling or whatever the case is, you can make a decision to pivot immediately. You don't have to go to the board. You don't have to worry about shareholders. You don't have to worry about all these other, you know, competing forces. You don't have to worry about your boss or the politics of what your boss's boss think. You know, you just do whatever you need to do when you're in, when when you're the one in control. When your one hundred percent choke point is your job, and maybe it's travel and hotel and convention industry today, but tomorrow, what could be the the thing. I mean, this world is changing so quickly, it's hard to even adapt. I don't even think we really know what's happening in the world right now. Yeah, we get a snapshot, but it's going to be one of those things like, you know, to do a debrief, you know, 20 years from now, looking back at it, knowing more, will we be able to actually really figure out what's going on right now? And so to be able to adapt to the changes on your own is more powerful than I think a lot of people really realize because. If you're waiting for someone else to make the decision for you, um, you 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 might have completely lost control of even the ability to speak to the people that can influence it because maybe everyone you know um, who is above you is also in the same boat you're in if you're at a job, and so and that's the case for people that I've talked to is that like they don't even have anyone to go to. They can and call the think- phone number, but the person that answers just got brought back the week earlier and doesn't really know what to tell them. And and I think it's a, a, I'm glad that you brought this point up. So, you know, I asked, Hey, you know, what if you lose everything? And it's like, yeah, but like, 
all these nine to five people also lost everything. So it's like, yeah, you thought you had stability, but eh, not really. Because when times got tough or when people, when, when we needed to make a change, you know, uh, or companies needed to make a change, they let people go. So mm-hmm. if you thought like, if me here being an entrepreneur and you being a nine to five, and you thought that you were more stable than I was, well, I would say you're wrong because, you know, we just saw COVID hit and and you everyone got fired. Or maybe, you know, your company, there was a merger. Uh, mm-hmm. you, your position was no longer available. So it's like we tell this we tell ourselves this lie that we're we have stability. But I think uh I love this saying. I I'm gonna probably like mess it up a little bit, but it's like the bird doesn't sit on the branch because it trusts that the branch is not going to break. It sits on the branch because it trusts that its wings are going to catch it if the branch breaks. Mm. And so that's where I see real stability is not in the thing that you're in. So not that your job is stable or your entrepreneur thing, like your company, business, whatever is stable. It's that you have, you can, you have the wings, you can depend on yourself and your skills that if anything happens, you got yourself, you know, you can, you can get yourself out of that. You can make money one way or another. You can pay your bills one way or another. So for me, that's kind of my, uh, I, I looked at stability so long. And for me, it's, I'm very, my stability is a lot different because, you know, being in America, I think people uh, have it a little bit easier. You uh, have, there's a lot of support. Uh, I got. I want to say, well, well done to America Force. I mean, people are complaining on Facebook that the government's not supporting them. You guys should go to Egypt and understand what n- not having government support means. So for me, it's like I have these student loans that I have to pay, uh, or or had. Um, you know, I have bills. I have all of this. I have no one. I mean, I could go to a friend's house if really everything goes really bad. But here. You know, you kind of, you, you, most of, most people don't come up with that debt. So for me, it's like, I have to have to have an income. Uh, Meanwhile, some people can afford to live like a little bit more frugally and not have an income for a while. So I was very, very sensitive to, to stability, probably more sensitive than the normal person. Cause I knew that there was, you know, $1,200 a month that I had to pay no matter what, uh, like you know, or else everything was going to go bad for me. Obviously, you know, the worst is you call the bank and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, with that being said, after being an entrepreneur and then seeing both sides, I think the only stability is in yourself. It's not in in what you're doing. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up with the whole companies and the people getting uh, fired is because we thought that everyone had stability. But, you know, your nine to five wasn't any more stable than my job, which, you know, uh, got better. Uh, but, you know, I'm not saying that if you're an entrepreneur during COVID, you would have, uh, I mean, some people had restaurants, but the uh, this is what I also noticed. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask your opinion on this too. So I noticed that there was two types of restaurants. There's the ones that very quickly pivoted and figured up Grubhub, Postmates, Uber Eats, uh, you know, da, 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 da. And those people, I mean, I have friends that are telling me, dude, I, I can't. Uh, I'm like, I can't keep up with the demand right now. Like I, I'm getting orders nonstop. It's more than before COVID, you know, cause everyone's sitting at home and everyone wants comfort food. And then there's the, uh, you know, businesses that said, Oh, you know, we're dying. We're dying. I'm like, how are you dying? Like I have not, if anything, I've increased the amount that I'm 
ordering from outside because it's kind of like one of the only things that you can do. I, I can't, you know, go to the movie theater anymore. So, but what's like something I still can do? Oh, I can get delivery and maybe watch a movie at home. Eh, close enough. Something like that. So it's like, I think it's it's all about, so what do you think, what are certain um, jobs that you've seen that the people who pivoted correctly or certain, you know, maybe industries or businesses, people who pivoted correctly greatly benefited and then the people who didn't pivot correctly kind of are like just sitting there and complaining and saying, oh, things changed and and so on. Yeah, great question. And I think there's a saying and. I hope I do it justice, but I think it's Tony Robbins that said, you know, you, you got to look at the world not as you want it to be, but how it actually is. Not worse than it is, not better than it is, but how it actually is. And so when you look at the world around you, you know, if let's say you're the restaurant owner um, and, you know, it's your your business model has been, I don't have to advertise because my parking lot's always full. And people going down the busy street see the busy um, parking lot. And that's what brings people in is that social proof. Well, that business model doesn't work anymore, you know? And so to your point, yeah, it's like, what can you do to adapt and to change? And, you know, good question on like, who's adapting, who's changing. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use the convention industry that I used to be in. Um, like it used to be that there would be this kind of pendulum that would swing back and forth between who had the, um, who had the leverage, whether it be, you know, the meeting planners or whether it be the hotels and convention centers. Because at a certain point, you know, the hotels and convention centers got to fill up this uh, perishable space. If they don't sell it, it's lost forever, you know, for that time period. And then at a certain point, they start filling up. Well, there's only so many convention centers that can hold certain size groups or whatever the case is. And so then when times are good for the hotels, now they have all the leverage and they can kind of dictate terms. Well, this has totally swung the pendulum completely to like where like i i uh was operating a uh uh a conference and you know we basically were able to just get out of our contract with the hotel which was supposed to have been this past september um like no strings attached just you, you think of us in the future that would never happen this is a contract this is a legal document and you know, but it's do you because, want to plug uh, the the conference name? Uh, sure, yeah, it was Brand Accelerator Live. So um, my friend uh, Scott Volker is more of the face of it. I'm kind of was more the uh, the brainchild be- behind it all, uh, just because of my experience working in the convention business. Um, but we ended up doing it as a virtual thing, and so you know conferences that could we'll we'll use that so the hotels are really having to figure things out differently and some are doing it better than others some of them are you know having to have you know maybe certain specials and things like that they're having to rely heavily on kind of more investing in long-term relationships um Mm -hmm. 
you know, because it's like people don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. And I think there's a lot of probably feeling in that business of yeah, yeah. the people that have conferences, hopefully they'll be back in the future. So we don't want to piss them off. Man, that is so powerful. I, I mean, you're so right. It's people remember how you made them feel. And, you know, this might have been um, kind of like a blow for that hotel that, you know, they, they lost that money. But they said, you know what, we'll take it. We'll take that, uh, you know, little uh, that loss. But guess who? Guess who's gonna hit us up the second that they can host the conference? Because exactly. they know they know that people are, are are dying. I am personally dying to go to conferences, um, and then you're going to be all in trying to host these conferences because there is a massive demand to attend them. And then you know they're gonna be your pref- preferred choice because of how they made you feel. So very powerful. Now. Just really quickly, I want to ask, how did you do virtual conferences better, would you say? Uh, you know, is there something, I mean, it's hard for me. I validate go, paying so much money to go to a conference because it's almost like a, a trip. It's like, it's the best form of a vacation for me. It's a vacation because come on, let's like, let's be real. Yeah, like I'm going to s- sneak some work in here and there, but it's not the same as like sitting at my desk and working. Um and I meet so many people, the connections that I make are, are, are insane. So I'm willing to pay the money for that, for the experience. But now when it's virtual, Hey, you know, it's just another day we're on the computer. So how, what are certain things? Uh, and we don't have to get too technical, but like, just let's touch on it. Just so people understand, like, this is how people who pivot think. Yeah. Great question. So yeah, to your point, like, um, a lot of the value in the conference is in the relationships and kind of just being in the environment. And so like in 2019, I'm trying to do my math here, when we had Brand Accelerator Live, it was in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, it was great. Like and people really enjoyed it. You know, yeah, you know, this it's it's great to see speakers. And, you know, for a lot of people coming to the conference, it was like, you know, they could actually like shake hands with Pat Flynn, or um, they could uh, do all these different things. That, mm-hmm. like, you know, hear you know Greg Mercer talk on who's you know he's uh, head of Jungle Scout is kind of a, somewhat of a celebrity in the Amazon space. You know, him yeah, talk about tactics and you know stuff like that. Like people like that, but at the same time too, like I truly think the the real value of a conference oftentimes is when you is not in the ballroom. It's at the lounge at the bar after hours when you're chatting with folks, it's, you know, getting a cup of coffee at the break and meeting someone and sharing strategies. And, you know, there's a lot of like kind of, you know, people hold tight to, you know, some of their strategies and things like that in public forums and things like that. But like when you're face to face with someone, there's a, a certain level of trust that you develop and it can be harder to develop that. And so for me, I remember back in March, we were just about to start promoting Brand Accelerator Live 2020. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're starting to see like, oh, wait, what's happening here? There's this thing in China and it seems like it's coming this way. Um, oh, there's been a case or two. Oh, now there's a bunch of cases. Oh, wait, we need everybody to stay in their house for two weeks, stop the spread. And it's like, okay, maybe we should hold off on promoting people going to an in-person conference and some of the other people we knew in the 
uh, e-commerce conference space, like they were starting to either cancel their events or hold off on theirs. And so kind of comparing notes with other people is like, okay, let's hold off on this. And so I was in this uh, kind of, we'll call it a support Facebook group for people that had in-person conferences. And I started saying, okay, well, people still want to learn, you know, people are bored at home, you know, maybe we could start doing some other things. And I think, you know, speakers still want to get their message out. Um, you know, companies still want to get their brand out. And so I was like, well, maybe I could do some of these virtual summits that I'm starting to see. So I ended up doing four virtual summits in about four and a half months this year. Uh, kind wow. of just to pivot, I, I would never recommend anyone do that. Um, I, I mean, having planned an in-person conference and having, you know, lots of experience in the uh, convention and meeting space on the venue side of things, you know, I, I probably have a skill set that makes it a little bit easier for me than it would for most people just because of my experience. But even with that, I wouldn't suggest that it's a lot of work. You basically went the complete opposite direction as yeah. everyone else. And basically everyone said, well, this is not working. And you're like, let's just do it to the max yeah. because what's the, what's the worst that could happen? So I love that. Very cool mindset. Um, so I want to wrap up here. Sure. Where can people find you? Uh, and, uh, I'll probably also like link a podcast that you've done, like where you kind of shared your story or something. So if people want to hear the full life story, um, they can hear it there and then, yeah. So go ahead, plug anything you want to plug. Sure. Yeah. I've got a YouTube channel and a, um, uh, a podcast, both called maximizing e-commerce. In fact, if you go to maximizing ecommerce.com forward slash 7575, uh, you can uh, hear about some profitable PPC strategies from a friend of ours who is a host of this show. Um, you're the uh, <laughs> guest on that episode. Had great feedback on that episode, by the way. And I love the, it. Uh, you don't really get good numbers on uh, audio podcasts, but in the YouTube, um, the average watch time is like through the roof. So people loved what you had to say and they're sticking around to hear it all. That's awesome. Good to hear. So All yeah, right, awesome. check me out on uh, is, maximizing e-commerce. Yeah. Go follow the channel, uh, follow the podcast. I know you you bring in a lot of cool guests, so uh, that's that one's a lot more uh, I think technical based. So you know that's where I think there's there should be a, a perfect balance between um, you know mindset and obviously technical stuff. So you can have all the motivation in the world, but if, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, it's not going to help as much. So, uh, make sure to go follow that. And thank you so much, uh, for your time, Kevin. Thank you.